Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to Cryo Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. This week I catch up with Jim O'Connor, one of the founders of Queensland-based Fortitude Brewing Company. It's been quite a journey for Fortitude in the five years since they launched their Mount Tambourine-based brewery. Five years is a long time in the craft beer world, and Jim and I have a frank discussion about all he has learned in that time. One of the relatively early arrivals in an industry that has seen a recent flood of new breweries, Fortitude is about to launch a major brand refresh, and Jim shares how their experience has fed into the new look and the new range. We discuss marketing and branding, and how Fortitude has had to deal with being mistaken for a Fortitude Valley brewery, popular beer styles, and how Jim feels they came to lose their way in a branding sense as they pursued individually successful beers, and also how the brewing industry is very different to other businesses Jim has run. It's a fascinating and insightful chat about beer and the business of making it, and what you can learn along the way. Enjoy the conversation. Jim O'Connor, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Mate, uh, we've never actually spoken um, in the six years that you've been operating Fortitude Brewing, um, and we're here to really just sort of talk a little bit about um, you're undergoing a brand refresh, but that's been influenced by you know, six years of uh, knowledge and understanding and learning um, from the, the cold, hard realities of the craft beer world or the, the beer world. Um, maybe we can start by, you know, who is Jim O'Connor? You know, how did you come to uh, live every person's dream of owning a brewery? Yeah, I think it's an interesting way of putting it, Matt, that, uh, that owning a brewery is every person's dream. And there's no doubt when I first started out uh, with the brewery, it has been a, it's been a really exciting business to be a part of. What was your background though? What, what, what were you doing or um, what do you continue to do outside of owning the brewery? So I'm, I'm an accountant by trade, mate. But for many years prior to starting the brewery, I was in business with my family. We had a, a silo manufacturing business out of Toowoomba. Yep. Um, now grain silos was a great business, but yeah, we sold out of that back in 2010. And yeah, for a period there, I was uh, you know looking for, you know, for other things to do. You know, had a, had a look at you know, different sorts of investments, and it was at that time when I, uh, when I caught up with my old school friend Jared Connors, and he just returned back from living in the U.S. Um, Jared's a, a cardiologist by by trade, and and an avid home brewer, and an avid home brewer, and he and he, he always was. Um, even when we first left school, he really enjoyed the the science around around brewing. And he got into it from a really young age, so I naturally asked him, you know, like, you know, was he still still brewing? And his response was, "Well, mate, I've just got back from you know, being in the US, uh, and you know, this craft beer scene over there is is really powering ahead. I'd, I'd, I'd love to do something." And as a you know, as a manufacturer, and the fact that I you know was in between uh, businesses, I my interest was piqued, and I, I said, "Well, hey, you know, look, why don't we uh, why don't we see what we can do about that?" And uh, so, how long? How long did you spend planning, going from this idea of let's pursue this to uh, finding a venue? Um, and you know, what due diligence, I guess, did you do to use a accounting term? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, Jed and I were, 
you know, we were quite green and it was a bit of a blank canvas for us. We didn't quite even know how to go about starting uh, our brewery. So, yeah, we spent a good couple of years, uh, you know, planning it out and, and speaking to various people who, at that time, were starting to sort of run courses about how to how to start a brewery. And it was during that time that we, yeah, we ran into and started a dialogue with our, our uh, who became our first head brewer, Ian Watson. Um, and Ian really started to steer us in a direction and and sort of started to bring a bit more life to this uh, to the idea of, of starting a brewery. And he and he, he helped us with. Uh, you know, finding our first brewery at, up at Mount Tambourine. Up at Eagle Heights. And up at uh, Eagle Heights, that's right, yeah. 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 And how much uh, was involved in, you, you found a brewery, it, had been, it was a fairly rustic little uh, brewery in, in the back of a uh, closed down business. Yeah, I, I Thai think. restaurant. Thai restaurant. Yeah. It smacked of dilettantism when you've got a, a surgeon and a, an accountant, uh, you know, opening up a brewery at the back of um, a Thai restaurant in a very small little brewery and wondering whether it's uh, a bit of a vanity project or whether it was a, a serious uh, business. There's no doubt when, you know, when Jared and I first sat down and spoke about wanting to start a brewery, we always wanted it to be a serious business. Um, the fact that we didn't quite know how to go about it and at what size and at what level, I think you know, the only thing for us was probably that we didn't know how much time we were going to be able to put into it you know, personally. And it felt right that you know we just wouldn't go out and go and buy or go and put together a really big brewery in the first instance, and we'd sort of just, I suppose, in, you know, use baby steps to sort of get ourselves into the market um, as we saw, as our learnings about you know how the industry worked and and what the expectations of the market is with the product. I mean, I'd never been involved in a you know, fast-moving consumer good or anything like that, and certainly one as well where you know people are able to sort of come out and pass comment very quickly about your, you know, your product. Um, it, you know, you needed to really, I suppose, just take those small steps to sort of getting into that space. So Eagle Heights seemed like a, a really good first option for us and it sort of worked in that regard. And, and you know, that's, that's why we went down that path. And, and very soon afterwards, you uh, moved into what was then the MT Brewery, which uh, Ian had a connection with there as well. Um, what what prompted that was it the opportunity presented itself or the need to have a bigger production brewery I think well both really at the end of the day I mean there's no doubt we, we very quickly um, moved our volume to a point where we were outgrowing the Eagle Heights and the opportunity through just discussions with the you know the end the owner of the MT brewery that um, we might have been able to take over that 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 space I mean, it was literally 500 meters as the crow flies down the other end of gallery walk up at Mount Tambourine and it just seemed like a the right way for us to go it was a, a much larger brewery I mean we're going from a five hectoliter to a 24 hectoliter system but it it was part of that sort of I suppose that approach where we felt like it was the right next step it did seem quite a big one um, but at the same time yeah, we felt like we were ready to take that next that next step. Was it a good brewery to be uh, brewing in? Like, was it you had the opportunity, but was it a good idea to move into that brewery in hindsight? I definitely have, don't have any regret about going into the bigger brewery. I think there was a period of time where you know Jared and myself had questioned about whether we were wanted to be at Mount Tambourine or whether we we were better to be placed in a in somewhere such, you know, like Brisbane or, or the Gold Coast. Um, but it was, 
you know, in I don't have in on reflection, I was happy with our decision to go into that uh, into that brewery there, and and I think ever since we really made our mind up that that's where we wanted to be, uh, it's been the best thing best best thing for us. Did you buy the brewery, or have you just leased it from the uh, the owner? We've just leased it. Yeah. Does that has that inhibited you in terms of development or investment in the in the plant at all? No, no. Look, we've got a we've got a good working relationship with the um you know the landlord, and you know they've been. They're really good in helping us to be able to sort of achieve what we want to do there. Uh, so we didn't feel like it was uh, any. I, sh- I should say we're coming to you from the uh, the back of the, um, the the milk factory, which is a funky little uh, bar in Brisbane. So we're getting all sorts of uh, ambient noise um, coming through. Sorry, Jim. No, that's fine. No, no, no. no, look, no we, we, we've had a we've had a good work. I mean, like anything. I mean, you have your challenges all the time. Um, you know, with any business, you know, whether it be with landlords or through renting and not owning that particular. So I suppose it, it, there are always going to be a small element there, but we've found that the brewery's been able to do what, what we've needed it to do. And, you know, you, you navigate your way around that to sort of, you know, work out what you think is best for that particular, you know, the, the kit that you're operating. And the, one of the things uh, that when Andre um, built the MT Brewery, it was a you know, very nice retail you know, environment, so you could... It was great for um, consumers to come up, sample yeah. the beers in the brewery. It was a nice space. Was that an attraction, and has that worked well for you, having that retail available? Definitely an attraction. There's no doubt being able to have that that space there that sort of becomes like the the face of your brewery um, was something that but we we had to learn very quickly as well about how. I mean, it's a it's a different a different beast altogether in some ways. You know, operating a venue opposed to also operating a brewery um, so we, we had to learn that as well but I mean that's been one of the, the great parts of actually moving into that that space and you're right it is a great retail space up there you know a big beer garden live music um, there's lots of good things about you know being in that area it, it, it's interesting that we say that's a different business but one of the things I constantly hear from people who go into the, the the brewing industry is you know they, they can have a background in other businesses and you know on, on one level Brewing is a business, and you can apply a whole lot of business knowledge to that. Yep. But it's a very specialised business, isn't it? And then oh. hospitality is a whole other ball ballpark itself. Was it a learning curve for you to uh, step into the brewing industry, and, and what did you learn very quickly? Yeah, it, it, huge um, learning curve. I mean, I've come out of sort of, I suppose, pure manufacturing with uh, sheet metal uh, fabrication, uh, and it, the the beer industry and the hospitality industry. For me, on reflection, is a industry like you know, like no no other. I mean, it's got lots of challenges around it. Um, you know, lots of learnings that you need to take on board all the time. Uh, so, I mean, I've you know have tried to put some of the the skills and the, the learnings I've had with my other manufacturing business and tried to replicate them, in, if you like, in the in the brewery. Uh, and and sometimes they just it just doesn't work. You know, you need to have a different mindset and. Uh, you know, they're the things that over time, you know, we've had to sort of become a little bit fluid with our, the way we operate to make sure that we, you know, we make those changes as you need to. What sort of things? Well, I suppose probably the main thing for me is around, you know, producing products consistently all the time. I mean, look, it, it's the same in manufacturing, but, you know, you're dealing with a product that's got a shelf life. That's probably one of the, yeah. the main things that um, you know, I had to come to terms with. Um, and the ingredients have a shelf life as well, exactly. all of that sort of yeah. thing. So. Everything about that is sort of, you know, you're on a bit of a... You know, a timeline. Um, yeah, whereas there's probably no doubt in you know sheet metal. You know, it's a little bit easier. You can leave that stock just to sit there, and you just oh, of course you want to try and move it as quickly as you can. So I suppose some of those principles around 
uh, you know, pricing and uh, some of those principles around you know, promotional ideas and activities, for me, it just felt a little bit different within this industry, just as, as time has progressed as well. Um, yeah. Understanding how to navigate around an industry where there's just lots of different players, lots of people and a lot of stakeholders in that, you know, without trying to sound too corporate, but I mean, that's, that's how it feels where there's just lots of different people in that industry that you, know, you need to be able to work out how you navigate around. And it, it's, it's difficult. It is a difficult space to sort of you know, get your head around. One of the things that we we are going to talk about is is the the rebrand and, and, and where you you see the business going. Um, but in terms of starting the business originally, where did the idea Fortitude come from? Was that you know an inspiration that somebody had one night, or did you market research it, or did you work with uh, design people? Oh, I think you know Jared um, probably had a fairly large role to play within that. Um, we both really liked the idea of. You know, strength and the virtues around strength and integrity, uh, and I suppose fortitude is a virtue. Uh, you know, fortitudo in Latin is strength, and that's why we landed on that name of fortitude. I mean, we've had lots of commentary over years about, oh, you know, fortitude, you must be in the valley. I constantly get asked, uh, uh, saying, oh, that's a brewery, and they mistake you for Newstead because sure. it's down the end of the fortitude valley. Yeah, and that's just never been the case. I mean, it was always around the fact that, uh, you know, fortitude and the, and the ideology of, of strength and that virtue of fortitude that we really liked um, as a brand, as a business, and, uh, and that's why we went with that name. Has there been any regret around that? Or do you, did, did you, sorry, I guess before you open, you know, what sort of um, brand development did you go when you had the name? Did you work with uh, designers to come up with a, a logo or a concept or, you know, that, that whole suite of brand values that go around the name? You can probably imagine what it was like getting a cardiologist and an accountant together to sort of sit there and go, wow, how are we going to set up this logo? Um, we enlisted the help of people through that 99 Designs website <laughs> and, uh, you know, we... So, and, and I, I just need to add that little bit of colour that you have a... Not a smirk, but like a very uh, chastened grin uh, when you answer this question. Yeah, I mean, look, I, there's no point pretending. I mean, it's not a, probably a strength of Jared's and mine. Um, you know, understanding how we would want to portray our brand. Although that said, I mean, we went through this process with 99 Designs, and you very quickly start to get a sense around. You know, how do you think you want to, that that logo and that brand to look, and how does that how does that represent who you are? And so we you know, definitely don't have any regret about you know, where, we, where we went originally uh, with the, you know, the Fortitude brand, not at all. Um, so well, for the Fortitude brand as in the name or the both. look or the, the, the whole concept around? Both, no, I don't have any regret about any. I, I still love the name Fortitude. I mean, yes, there's been challenges over the course of years as I've been, you know, had so many questions about where we're located. Um, and I suppose, you know, in the fact that we probably spent the first couple of years uh, thinking, oh, do we want to go and set up something down in Brisbane or, as I said, or at the Gold Coast, you know, we're really settled on where we are. Uh, and I've always been really settled on the name Fortitude, even though we've had to deflect you know, so many questions about where we're located in the valley. Um, if, if when you had settled on the name um, Fortitude, if you'd worked with uh, somebody who was a, you know, a marketing brand specialist back then instead of 99 Designs, and I'd... That, this is in no way a criticism because sure. I've been in business for 15 years. I've only first engaged my own personal uh, brand consultant. Yep. Um, 
recently and yep. uh, I've had all the problems that came with that myself. So yep. it's, it's a learning that I've had. But in hindsight, would you have gone and worked with somebody and do you think that you could have um, avoided some of those pitfalls around people mistaking the name Fortitude with the Valley if you'd uh, counted that um, and dealt with it in the, in the branding at the start? Oh, I think most definitely. I mean, when I talk about not having a great deal of experience in, in marketing, I think that extends as well to all of the ensuing questions and the stories and just tightening up everything that goes around you know, your brand, who you are, why you've started. You know, I think if there's been any, uh, I suppose, where you, where you feel like you, you don't feel like you're covering off that particular area very well, that's where we've, where somebody, if you had worked with somebody with maybe a little bit more experience rather than and professional around that, they might have tightened up a few of those, those questions around that. It might have made life a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, yeah, so well, it's not a regret, but you know, certainly I would probably approach it differently if I had have, uh, you know, gone back to the start. Well, that's one of our regular questions, uh, what we call the Pacey's pose, Pacey Poser, you know, what would you change? And is that is that something that, um, you know, again, it's, I, I, I guess it would be easy to sort of look at it and say a couple of guys who love the idea of having a, a brewery, um, and, and you see it quite often in the brewing industry, if we make great beer, people will come. Um, and I, I think as the... Um, business matures. We, we see a lot of stories like yours where um, you know, a little bit further down the track, maybe we need to tighten up the brand, maybe they need to do a few things a little bit differently. Is that something that you think you wish you had done differently at the start? Sure. Or um, do you think that it was a, a good start and now you're just kicking on to the next level? Oh, look, I'm, I'm immensely proud of where we've got to uh, today. You know, in answering your question about uh, would, would I do things differently? I think it would have been would have been better for us to probably have put a little bit more time in with perhaps somebody with some industry experience um, coming in so green into the industry and trying to overlay our own experiences in business into an industry like the brewing industry. I think it would have been would have been a better idea if we had have maybe just spent a little bit more time speaking to some other. You know, industry experts as well about you know, certain things like around our brand and uh, you know how we set up websites. It felt like it was probably a little bit disjointed. Yeah. Um, in honesty, uh, you know, we, we didn't bring it all out at the same time and all those sorts of things. Whereas I feel you know like if we had have maybe gone about it and with somebody who had a bit more, they might have said, look, take your time, work your way through these various elements to make sure that everything is sort of done and it's delivered in in one one hit. Whereas I. I I feel like over the, the course of time, we've had uh, things have come out in sort of you know, drips and drabs, if you like, etc. And it hasn't been a unified in the you know in the past. You know, and, and we all learn, and we, we all learn every day. And I guess that's one of the things that this podcast uh, lets us share with the, a lot of the listeners are hoping to one day open a brewery. So you know, yep. we, we, it's a bit of a learn from our mistakes oh, um, podcast. Um, and but it's just one of the things I hear a lot from really talented designers and branding people is that they you know they just shake their heads when they look at you know uh, startup businesses dropping you know fifty sixty thousand dollars on town planners half a million dollars on stainless steel um, you know they've, they've got leases they've got staff they've got all these things and they won't spend the five to ten thousand dollars 
on getting what is arguably as important as anything else in the cycle, which is your brand, yeah. because that's what represents you in the marketplace. Um, and and it, it is just something that people often uh, scrimp and save on or don't value the importance of. Do you, you know, do you, is that a fair assessment? I think that's a, that's, a, that's a really accurate and great great way of thinking about it. That's, ex- that's exactly right. Now, we, we didn't go out and buy our kit. Um, but you know, as you say, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of time, effort, and money spent on you know most elements of the business. But you know, for me, you know, reflecting back at it, trying to you know, covering off every element, and that includes, as importantly, about how your brand is presented in the marketplace. Um, you know, that is one area where you know, we could have probably spent a little bit more time. At the same time, you had Fortitude Brewing on Mount Tambourine. Then you also, at the same time, launched the side brand Noisy Miner. That was when it was explained to me. Well, Fortitude is our core brands. Um, you know, our Golden Ale. Um, you know, the, the beers that are our main range. And then we're going to have our uh, what Burley calls their bit on the side, or you know, everyone's got a bit of a side project. And you called that Noisy Miner. Was that? just an added level of confusion in the marketplace? Or would you have done that again? Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I really enjoyed um, the noisy minor part of our business. And in fact, you know, we're, we're working on things on that right now. And there's, you know, probably a chance for us to get together in, a, you know, in another <laughs> short period of time to sort of discuss what we're doing with noisy minor. Uh, but no, look, I mean, uh, we had a good sense around it. Again, I suppose, coming back to the idea about how you uh, portray or how you deliver that message to the market about what you're doing, uh, you know, if we could have gone about that probably in a better way to ensure that any confusion that might have existed around where, where Noisy Miner sat in, in, in our business overall, it was very clear. And I, I think you know, this whole concept of you know, why we're doing what we're doing now with the, you know, the brand refresh is about getting that clarity and focus back to this business and why we started it um, and delivering those messages that really we probably should have delivered from the very outset. Yeah. When you launched, you launched with a golden ale. Um, I'm trying to think, there was a golden ale, there was a stout. Um, original golden ale. Original um, golden ale, which was a cracking beer. As a, as and I think the next one we, we brought out was the lager. Uh, the, the, the lager, yep. And, uh, You've had a fairly substantial, you know, 2012 was when you launched, 2012, 2013? Yeah, early 2013 was the, you know, when we first poured our beers, yeah, we established in 2012. And, uh, you know, the, we've seen the, the Golden Ale um, fall away, we've seen uh, you know, a variety of beers come and go, we've seen tremendous success with Pacer, one of a few craft beer, light craft beers. Um, we've also seen Drifter, um, which have had very strong car themes that have been a little bit different from the the, the, the core brand. They almost became brands in themselves. Sure. Um, what have you learned about you know beer styles and you know what beers work in the market and whether you can pursue passion projects and beers that you love or do you have to take a little bit more note of the of what the market is expecting? Yeah, I think you probably hit the nail on the head there. I mean, look, we came out with a gold nail because that's what. Jared and I like drinking at the time. Um, and, and I will just say that's like one of the feedback that I always got when we, we've showcased it is 
It was a golden ale and it was perfectly described, but it's not what a lot of the market tended to think was a golden ale. It was, it was quite a, you know, it was almost a, what I would call an XPA in some ways. It's just what we're now seeing brewers bring out as an XPA. Yeah, uh, that's a, and that's a fair comment. Um, yeah, I think being able to separate what you want to do personally and being able to deliver what you think that you know, will work well within the market is part of this process as well and another learning that you have to have over time. I think it's great. I mean, I, again, no regret about uh, launching onto the market with the gold mail um, at all. And in fact, it still remains, you know, one of my favourite beers that we, that we, that we produce. Um, if I went back over time and there might have been somebody else, you know, even Ian may have suggested, why don't we, we launch with something different? Uh, but you know, Jared and I you know, made the decision we wanted to go with the gold mail, and uh, yeah, you're right. It had fallen away, and you know, I suppose like. But was the problem the beer? Um, because it was a cracking beer. Like, was it? Was it? And that's one of the things that I've always uh, struggled with. It, was it the problem with the beer or the problem with the name? You know, and and do those things uh, interrelate? You know, can can you have the right beer and call it the wrong thing or? Oh, I, I think most definitely. I mean, and in some ways, the moment you start seeing things happen in the market where they're not all going in the right direction, you immediately start to second guess yourself about what naming propositions you come up with, what type of beer should I brought out, should I be tweaking something with that recipe, how do I keep the momentum going and the moment that you do see things either you know, plateau or you know, fall away, you sort of think okay well geez, I need to think about doing something different and I think our history probably speaks of that to some degree of this, um, you know, we've, we've made changes some of them large and you know naming propositions and all sorts of different things all with a view to sort of trying to reinvent yourself um, and in doing that we probably you know lost our way a little bit in terms of you know what, why we started this brewery and uh, you know what we wanted to achieve as a, as a brand but on a day-to-day um, basis you, you need to stay alive don't you and it, 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 oh, absolutely you, you, you need to sort of get beers that are selling and get out to marketplace and yeah. uh, and, and I guess that's a good time to come to the brand refresh it looks like um, you know you, you've taken me through the, um, the the new brand it looks like you've really taken a step back away from the, the business giving yourself some space to take a you know, buzzword helicopter look at, at, at the business and you've um, kept some and you've moved some so maybe maybe uh, talk talk us through what the you know what, what you've done um, with the brand refresh yeah I, that's exactly it. I mean we, we have taken a step back and we've sort of we've engaged some help and that help has sort of has stood back and made us ask some questions about who we are and you know, why did we start this business and as a result I mean we sort of come back and said well yeah I feel as though we did lose our way to some degree I mean we still continue to produce you know the same quality beers Um, the way that we were presenting ourselves and representing ourselves in the market with the the various naming conventions you know Charger and Interceptor and the like uh, you know I feel as though we you know we just probably did lose our way a little bit there and so what we've come back to is this you know clear and focused approach to who Fortitude is yeah, Fortitude is about strength. That's why we started this business. And I suppose we had pushed Fortitude to the background as we allowed some of these other, you know, names and images that came up on our on our on our bottles and, and on our cans. Um, that you know, we allowed them to come to the front. Uh, when really, at the end of the day, the reason why we started this brewery is because of the name Fortitude. We love the name Fortitude, and, you know, and and what it represents. And we feel like it's a, an extension of who we are as people. But we kept pushing it back, so we wanted to bring it back to the front. 
And so what have you done? So talk, talk us through, so you've got a core range of three beers. Yeah, so we've um, we've kept you know some of our core range, and well, particularly with Pesce, because as you said, it's uh, it's probably been one of the, the standouts for us. Uh, but you know, with that clarity and focus, we're we're about coming back and putting Fortitude front and center uh, with our with our with our product. So when people now will see you know, our products out in the marketplace, they will see the name Fortitude front and center. And it'll be a lot more simple sort of naming conventions around our beers. We'll keep the name Pacer. Uh, but we'll be you know, moving away from names such as Drifter and Interceptor and they'll be uh, the Summer and, and a Pale. And so we'll be calling out just exactly that style of beer uh, along with our name, just to make it a very clear and simple message. And, and you've got four beers. You've got the Pacer, which is your light beer. Um, you've got a Lager Summer. That's an interesting, uh, you know, it, it's a very much an on-trend Beer style. Um, sure. Yep. So you, you're, you've always had a lager. Um, now you're just calling it Fortitude Lager. Correct. Yeah. Um, uh, what what used to be summer? So summer, you know, was Drifter, mm-hmm. uh, and Drifter's been a you know, an outstanding beer for us. Uh, and the decision to to drop the name Drifter and just revert it back to being summer is again, you know, getting that real clear and clarity focus that we have around our brand and actually the simplicity around these styles. Uh, you know, I know that there are out in the market, there's probably all a number of different names that you can sort of come up for for a, for a beer that might be of that sort of summer ale style. You know, that's what we feel that that, that beer is, the Drifter beer is of that summer ale. So it's ale a galaxy, you know, sort of like that, that light, tropical, fruity, yeah. um, easy drinking, 4.4%, 4.3%. 4. 4. 4.4%. 4.4%. Yep. Uh, 4.4%, just a, a nice, easy drinking, uh, perfect for, for Queensland. Yeah, great for you know hot days. But I mean, the beauty about you know, beer like uh, Fortitude Summer is that it's you know you can, something you can have in any season, I suppose, when you want to have that that summer feel. And I, I guess that's one of the reasons why that category is probably doing well, is because people do want to have that summer feel all year round. And that's that's where Drifter was started. This time it's just going back and being really clear around what type of style it is. So there's been no tweaking of the recipe around uh, Drifter, it's just a name change to give consistency with the Fortitude brand? Yeah, and just the, the, you know, the, new, the new approach that we're having with our, with our, our branding convention. And rounding out, uh, we've got the Fortitude Pale Ale that we've, we've just been enjoying. So talk me through the, the Fortitude Pale Ale. What was that in its previous incarnation? So that used to be called Interceptor and we've never packaged uh, okay. that before. Um, and you know, Pale ale, you know, as you know, it is the you know, the largest you know, uh, style uh, within the craft beer, uh, and you know, we were asked the question, you know, why don't we put our pale out into uh, in the package? And so we couldn't really actually come up with a, a good reason. And I think you know, it's interesting if there's you know why not when considering that pale is still the most uh, the most popular sort of style within craft. But you know, for, for us, you know, we've got a great balanced, you know, uh, pale ale at 5%, you know, that great balance between, you know, your malt and your hops and your bitterness, and, you know, round it off with that 5% ABV, you know, it's, it's an ideal beer for us to be able to bring back, bring it to the market and, and, and release newly in packaged. It, it, it's, it's a lovely, we've just had it on tap um, yep. here at the Milk Factory. Do you still make all of the keg beer yourselves up in Mount Tambourine? Absolutely. Yeah. So, and so package will be going through brew pack eventually when they've got their new brewery or it is already it's already started okay. yeah no look um 
you know, Anton and his team down at Brewpack, uh, you know, they're, they're great people. Yeah, and they're terrific brewers. I mean, you know, they've, uh, you know, they're the hottest 100 brewer in their own right as well. Um, yeah, and their operation and their new facilities that they've got there, I mean, they've got their own, yeah, on-site, you know, laboratory that they have down there as well. Uh, you know, look, we, we really felt like that they, you know, a quality outfit and it was, you know, they're a good partner for us, you know, with regards to our package product. And it's interesting that at a time you're doing a big brand refresh, um, you've sort of uh, moved some of the names uh, for consistency. You haven't gone with what is arguably the hottest trend in craft beer and cans. You've uh, kept it in bottles. Talk well, us through that. Well, we're, we're reverting back to bottles. Reverting back As to bottles, know, yes. I mean, we, uh, yeah, we always started out with um, you know, bottling our, our packaged product. And um, yeah, we, we acknowledge the fact that you know there's a lot of popularity of you know, cans and it's growing, but um, we feel that, that bottles are you know, seen as representing the Fortitude brand in this particular instance for this relaunch. Particularly something like uh, Pacer, which is as a light beer, would just lend itself perfectly to a whole range of drinking situations that a can um, is ideal for. You, you, you haven't sort of thought about, well, okay, well, we'll stick with bottles or revert to bottles for the other three, but we'll put it into cans. There's, there's no doubt that um, cans will continue to have a place, you know, with our within our portfolio in the future, and that's you know, one of the reasons that we you know, have chosen to partner with a group like Brewpack because, you know, as they grow and they move into their new facilities, they're going to be able to, you know, be able to do some um, canning of those products that we that we wanted to be able to get canned uh, in the future. The brewing industry is, it, 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 you know, every year in the brewing industry is like seven in dog years or, you know, it, it seems like a long, long time since you launched um, and we've seen drastic changes over that. How hard is it... Um, to um, you know, go, approach this relaunch and think, well, we, we've got it nailed now. Um, presumably, you think you've got it nailed now. Um, <laughs> we, 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 we'll see. But you know, in an ever-changing beer world, um, how hard is it to launch this uh, rebrand, knowing that the industry is going to be constantly changing and evolving? Yeah, I mean, I'm very comfortable. I mean, I'm extremely excited about um, you know what we're doing here with the relaunch. I mean. Because in some ways it feels like we're reverting back to sort of some of our roots uh, with what we, how we started out. You know, there's a little bit of comfort that you have around that and it's more about now saying, okay, well look, you know, we're going back to where we started off as a business and, and the vision that, you know, that we had when we first started out. So, yeah, I mean, this, the brewing space, you know, you know as well as anybody, it's just constantly changing. Uh, and it's growing and it's changing all the time. So, I mean, like this idea of having to sort of go and, you know, do a refresh, I mean, Plenty of companies out there do brand refreshes all the time. I mean, the fact that we feel that we need to go and do one, I'm really comfortable about it and, and very excited about you know what what lies ahead. Just looking at a couple of the hot button issues in the industry at the moment, I'm just going to throw some words at you and uh, get some comment. Um, tap contracts. They exist, and we have to work out how to uh, you know, navigate and, and work around them. Uh, date coding on 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 craft beer. Yeah, I like the idea. And so, so what, what approach are you guys taking to uh, coding your beers? A, a best before, used by, um, yeah, packaged best before, on? Best before date. Yeah, and, and how, how long are you putting on your on your beers? It's going to have 12 months on it. 12 months? Yeah. Is, is that in deference, you know, in, in sort of recognition of the fact that to get retail space, you need those sorts of dates on? Oh, look, there, there's definitely, um, 
you know, some elements within the marketplace with regards to that. I mean, the reason why we're going to put 12 months on as our best before date is because I feel confident that that is you know, the right amount of time to be putting on our product. Um, by going through with, with Brewpack, and you know another hot topic word that I'm sure is going to come up is pasteurisation. Oh, well, it wasn't, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, sure. Because it, it, it is one of those... It's interesting in, in, in the constant evolution of the craft beer world that the um, Brewers Association, for example, had the element of traditional um, in their definition. What's traditional has changed is they've allowed adjuncts to be used. And so all of these techniques that were once the province of you know, marked out nasty, terrible, big brewers, we're now seeing a practical realisation that they're not evils. And in, in a lot of cases, they're, um, they're the reality. And uh, you, you guys are um, flash pasteurising the beers. Yeah, so the, the packaged product um, is going to be is pasteurised product. Um, you know, we operate in a in a hot climate here in Australia at the end of the day, Matt. And um, yeah, we felt at the end of the day that you know pasteurisation is you know delivers that you know best quality product. Yeah, you know, when you you know you're shipping beer further than you know within your you know, your doorstep, I suppose, or your front door, you know, which might be a, you know, a couple of hundred kilometres away from your brewery. And if you know if your product needs to extend beyond that because of demand. Uh, yeah, we thought that that was the, uh, the way for us to go. And we're seeing an increasing number of uh, breweries doing that. Is there? Did you give any thought to limiting your geographic footprint? You know, is there a viable business model for a brewery your size in saying, well, we'll just keep the beer local um, and that way we don't have to worry about some of these things? Oh, look, I think with any business at the end of the day, you sort of put through a few iterations about might how your business might look uh, under various circumstances if things don't perhaps maybe deliver the way that you, you anticipated. Uh, it's one of the things that I really like being at you know, Mount Tambourine is that it is one of those areas where I suppose we have our, our own little patch of you know, dirt up there, if you like, and it's in a great spot, um, you know, idyllic spot for you know people to go and visit. And yeah, I, mean, I think you have to make a clear decision about how you want to run your business and whether you do, um, you know, you just want to stick to a very hyper local area, or whether you do want to sort of extend beyond those 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 boundaries. And you know, having been established back in 2012 and you know, pouring since 2013, you know, we had been delivering product. You know, well beyond those boundaries for a long time because we were one of the you know, the first breweries that um, you know, that opened up in you know, independent breweries that opened up in in Queensland back at that time. And you know, we've had beers in the past that have been in the, the hottest 100, and you know they've been a requirement for us to deliver our product beyond that that radius. So you know, we very quickly got into that space where you know, we had to understand you had to be able to deliver your product further afield. What do you see as the biggest challenges? facing uh, craft breweries, you know, small breweries, um, you know, over the next 12 to 18 months? Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a crowded space. There's no doubt about it. Um, so, you know, with that is the, the challenge of just trying to stand, stand apart. Um, how, do you, how do you let people know who you are and your story and what makes you unique? I suppose is one of those those challenges that makes people want to go and say, "I'm going to go and choose your beer over somebody else's." What uh, makes you guys unique then? Uh, you know, what, what, what's your unique selling proposition, as the marketers like to say? Yeah, we've got some great products that are unique in the marketplace. You know, you've mentioned, um, you know, Pacer. You know, Pacer is just a, a great pale ale. It just so happens to be you know, lower in alcohol. Um, it's brewed 
to be that way. So it's been a, it's been a really a, a good beer for us in that regard. Uh, you know, and also you know, moving into you know packaging off our our ginger beer. Yeah, you know, that's another roots and leaves. Yeah, roots and leaves. Yep. Yeah, I mean that's another another unique uh, product um, that you know does very well for us uh, you know, in draft, and we just felt is now is the time for us to sort of bring it out in a package format. The other beers that we you know, that we add to that, you know, the, the the summer and the pale. I mean, they're just they're great beers, and so you know, why wouldn't we want to be able to you know, package them off and, and deliver them? We're coming up towards the end of our time, but um, you, you raised uh, roots and leaves, which is your ginger beer. Mm-hmm. You, um, we started this conversation by saying how much you love the idea of having a brewery, and it was you know one of those things. No one says you know, gee, I really want to go off and make a ginger beer. No. Um, <laughs> Was making a, a ginger beer like Roots and Leaves, was that just one of those pragmatic decisions you make that we uh, have a portfolio, we want to have a range of things we can take to, to bars and they might take our ginger beer and our pale ale, for example? Or was it something that you sort of thought, well, actually, here's a great space, we want to operate in that space? I, I think, yeah, probably the latter. Um, yeah, that, yeah, we thought that this was a, a good space and we, we were seeing some movements going on in the market with regards to... You know, to ginger. I mean, ginger's been you know, pretty hot sort of topic for a long time in food and beverage. Um, yeah, and more so of late as well. And we just you know wanted to sort of explore what we might have been able to contribute to that uh, to that particular space. Um, so I guess you know that's probably the reason why it evolved in the first place, um, and why we decided we wanted to have a bit of a go at it. We probably didn't anticipate that it would be one that would be as popular as it's been in draft, particularly up at our at our cellar door. Um, so it seemed like a, an obvious uh, move for us now. I mean, I'm probably getting a bit tired of people asking when is it coming out in packs. So we <laughs> yeah, decided it was, um, it was time to do so. It's an interesting category though, isn't it? Because we're seeing at the moment, if you make an 8% ginger beer um, on a wine um, base, because most ginger beers, as brewed as they are, they have a variety of different bases. You add the ginger to it, sweetened with a variety of different um, uh, sort of sweeteners. It could be natural or it could be uh, sort of some of the, the, the sugarless. But an 8% ginger beer can sell for $100 a keg cheaper than a mid-strength ginger beer um, such as yours. Your ginger beer is 3.5%. Correct, yeah. How does, how does that work? And you know, is that just the ultimate proof of how completely messed up the uh, excise laws in this country are? Oh look, you know it is. I think the there are challenges with delivering a ginger beer with a taste profile that uh, yeah, that people want out of a ginger beer that you can deliver within those constraints that are you know within the, the ATO provides around around that. Hmm. I guess that's the best way for me to answer that. I mean, um, but for a business, how do you sell? Uh, 3.5% ginger beer at $350 or you know, roughly um, that sort of price against an 8% ginger beer that may be wholesaling for $220. Um, it, that's a, just a bizarre challenge when the government's trying to, you know, the, the rest of the beer industry is geared around trying to sort of uh, bring the ABV of things down. Yeah, I haven't seen too many of the really high ABV ginger beers out on tap myself. Um, yeah, probably at a package space. You know, you, you, you're right. Um, it will, you know, it will probably present some challenges. But I think that's where you really want to. You know, it's where you come up with your branding and you know what, 
what what works for you. I mean, for us, I mean, we have our unique uh, propositions around our ginger beer that we feel are you know, really great. I mean, that's you know, being a gluten-free product and you know, vegan-friendly. Uh, you know, it's low-carb and you know, ninety-nine percent sugar-free. I mean, they're the things that you know we're using to uh, you know, to present our product out there. I mean, how that stacks up in terms of price. I mean, look, you know, people will make their own decisions, I suppose, when they get there. But look, there's no doubt that there is. Um, you know, th- there are challenges around that, but you know, I, I'm, I'll be honest. I haven't seen a lot of, of the, the, yeah. the higher ABV um, ginger beers in a keg form. You know, I suppose because of exactly that, there, you know, they're, they're high ABV, and you can't probably drink as many. That's, that's very true. So um, you're about to go live, I think, the first of May with the uh, brand refresh. Sure. Um, what's next for Fortitude? Well, the next, uh, you know, the next week is going to be, you know, really busy and exciting. I mean, look, I mean, I, you know, this is the culmination of just months and months of, of hard work to get us back to sort of uh, getting to this point of being able to do the relaunch. So I guess that will be us, you know, in the short term, you know, as we, uh, you know, we, we start rolling out this, the new branding uh, and, the, and the, uh, the new products that are going to be under that Fortitude banner. Um, you know, as I said, you know, Roots and Leaves and Pale, they're new to be packaged. And as I said to you earlier, you know, we've got some... Uh, irons in the fire with regards to Noisy Miner and that might be an opportunity to come back and, and we'll speak to you again. Touch base with you soon. And uh, now just going back to the Pacey's poster if, there, poster, if there was one thing that you could change about the last six years um, or one thing that you've learned that you would rec- you know, that you would pass on to anyone who was looking at opening a brewery, can you distill it down to one key thing that you would uh, just sort of say that you, this is what, one thing I would absolutely do differently? question Matt. Uh, that's what we always hear <laughs> that's why we keep asking it look working with professional people uh, people who understand the industry and understand brewing you know just critical uh, for me in this space it's and I don't mean to prolong the interview but it's, it's, it's funny that when you hear that and you know like I um, get beaten about the head sometimes for sort of being uh, you know quite loud um, invoicing my opinions but they're often things like that that I hear um, and you see a lot of people entering the market now that have you know guitar band visions um, wanting to be the next you too and they, they don't see that you know whilst you know you, a band um, a very successful band may portray certain things there is a whole professionalism that goes into making them look like a very successful garage band um, it, what I hear you saying, it's it, it's not really craft, is it? it like it, it, it's not that idea of like a couple of mates just sort of getting in and yeah, knocking out a couple of batches of their favourite brew. I mean, what what is craft beer now, Matt? At the end of the day, um, you know, this is beer, you know, um, and you know, whether you be at a very small scale or you're at the very high end of scale in terms of volumes, you know, I feel like you need to bring a, a professionalism and a, a conviction around what you're doing. Uh, at, no matter what size that is. Uh, and I don't think that is something that has changed no matter whatever the size of your business is uh, and you know, whatever your vision might be. Uh, it doesn't mean to say that you can't, you know, somebody's not going to come along and at a very small level you know, grow very quickly and be very successful, notwithstanding how crowded and, and busy it is. But I, that's the one thing that you know, I've noticed about this industry is that there is just a lot more yeah, professionalism as a, as a word, or you know, a lot more um, strategy, if you like, or a lot more thought-provoking sort of stuff going on in this industry, where you need to put a lot more detail around what you're doing as a business. 
So you know, getting in there and, and getting involved in that detail and understanding what, what you do, really important. That's as good as a place as any until we uh, talk about Noisy Miner. Jim O'Connor, thank you very much for joining me for uh, Beer as a Conversation. Thank you for the beer and uh, thank you for the conversation. Thanks, Matt. Great to catch up. And that was Jim O'Connor from Fortitude Brewing. And thanks also to Jimmy and the Milk Factory for hosting us. The Milk Factory is a great, if noisy, little pub in South Brisbane that's not on as many radars as it should be. Check it out if you're ever in Brisbane. Don't forget, if you like what we do on Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letter writers will receive a Brews News bottle opener and our good friends at Beer Cartel have come on as sponsors of our Letter of the Week. We will choose an email, a tweet or a comment each week and Beer Cartel will send you a mixed six-pack plus a Brews News bottle opener. You can find a link to Beer Cartel in the show notes. When Brews News cast and crew buy beer online, we choose to buy from Beer Cartel. Thanks for joining the conversation. See you next week. Music